Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father, we quiet ourselves in order to hear from you. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Welcome, everybody. It's wonderful to see you. I am so giddy about the weather. Can't tell you how giddy I am. Tonight, we have our last installment in this letter of Paul's to the church at Philippi. Remember, Philippi is a Roman colony made so about 40 B.C., so a few years before Christ. And Paul had planted this church about 10 or 12 years prior to the writing of this letter. He's, he's going to be executed three or four years after writing this letter. And he's writing to the church, and he says to them to be unified because there's a bit of a disagreement. Who doesn't have disagreements from time to time? So we just missed in chapter 4 where he implores them in one verse to, to agree. But he tells them to be unified. He also expresses his love and his favor for this church and how he's praying for them. And he wants to see them thrive and succeed in the Lord. He talks about the ways that they have experienced transformation in community. This is a, a good church. It's a young church and a church that's thriving in Christ Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, and in community. And so he invites them to look upon the example of Christ. That in light of their disagreements, in light of the reality that each one of them is a unique individual, yada, 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 that they're to have unity in their focus on Jesus. And remember the illustration that we used. We read from Henry Nouwen's letters, and he says, Life is like a wheel, and God is the hub. Each of us travels. As we travel to God, we get closer to one another. So the more that we sing that song, remember that those beautiful descriptions of Christ, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, is one of our oldest hymns of the church. So as we sing that song of Christ's humility and self-pouring out, as we gaze upon him and worship him, we find ourselves closer to one another as we have him as a singular focus. The last week we talked about how we are a colony of heaven. As the church, we're citizens not of some other great city, 
Not even We are citizens of Dallas, yes, in America, yes. But we're citizens at the, at the core of our being. If we're in Christ, we're citizens of heaven. And from there, we await a Savior who will come to us, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious resurrected body. But in the meantime, we live in the culture of the kingdom of heaven because we're a colony, just, just so as Philippi was a colony of Rome. It had the culture of Rome. It had the stuff of Rome. And if anybody was to ever to attack Philippi, they could appeal to the great power of Rome to come and rescue them. So also with us, as we experience the vicissitudes of life, the trials, the travails, as we're battered and beaten and broken by life, we cry out for God. God, we need the power of heaven to, to heal us, to give us a taste of that heavenly country where right now you are reigning in beauty and majesty and power. That heavenly country of which every celebration of Holy Communion is a foretaste. It's an anticipation. It's a looking ahead to. And as the church, we are to be the embodiment of that. We're to live in that beautiful culture that's not of us, as Paul would write in another letter to another church in another place nearby. We're like earthen vessels and we had this power in us and we know that it's from God and not from us and now in his epistolary form Paul is in a letter form he's wrapping up this letter he's wrapping up these things that he wants to say to the church and he's speaking to them about the state of a few things the state of their community the state of their minds and lastly, the state of their apostle. So let's look briefly at what Paul has to say to them. Verse 4, Philippians 4. He begins abruptly. Now remember, he's just told Euodia and Syntyk to agree. Get over it. Agree. Keep short accounts. When you come to membership class at All Saints East Dallas, you learn to keep short accounts. You learn that we have a relational covenant that we sign. That when somebody wrongs us or does something bad to us, that we'll go to them. We're not going to spread gossip and say, oh my gosh, Chris, can you believe? Can you believe what they said? I can't believe it either. Isn't it crazy? Tell somebody else. Okay, I will too. No, we go to the person. Hey, this really hurt when you did this. And then we forgive one another. We keep short accounts. So he's telling them to do that. And he makes this quick turn into the final portion of his letter. And what does he say? Rejoice! Did I surprise you? That's what he's saying. Rejoice. It's emphatic. It's loud. It's exuberant. I went to a concert Wednesday night. Oh my gosh. If you like to sit by somebody at a concert that will just sit and enjoy and quietly savor, that is not me. My neck was sore. My head was sore. But my soul was alive. It was wonderful. It was amazing. And I found myself having this public kind of rejoicing in Paul to speak to the state of their community. Yes, that's what I entitled this section, the state of their community. To speak to the state of their church. He says, friends, in your unity, rejoice. Celebrate publicly, exuberantly. Let there be feasts. Now remember the context that he's writing into. It's, the, it's Rome. It's the Roman Empire. What do they do? 
Man, they had games for their gods, and they were trying to copy the Greeks, and they had games to honor the different dignitaries, and they had feasts and long, drawn-out things, and yada, yada, yada. And now Caesar, Augustus, well, he's God too, so we're going to have a big feast for him, a big party. And Paul says, how much more the one who, though he is God, considered equality with God a thing not to be grasped, whose name is above every name, and at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on the earth and under the earth and above the earth that he is Lord. How much more should you not publicly rejoice? So there's to be, I think I got my, I got so excited my stole got crooked. We priests have to keep ourselves in line here. He tells them to publicly rejoice. There is an aspect of our Christian lives that is public. It doesn't mean we have to go stand on a street corner with a megaphone and, and be a jerk. But it does mean that we rejoice together. That's why we gather in the open. That's why we invite people to worship. That's why worship is a core and key rhythm and space of our life together here at All Saints East Dallas. Rejoice. It's exuberant. It's public. But look what he does. And then he says, again, I say rejoice. So he underscores it. Don't forget. But look at verse 5. Also, let your reasonableness, the NIV says your gentleness, let it be known to all. So Paul said, rejoice, celebrate publicly, be exuberant, have the feast, put on a show, yada, yada, make God famous, all that stuff. But lest you should disturb the introverts in the room, I could see you slinking down in your pew. Let your gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So there's a part of our life together that is meant to be guided and instructed by this gentleness. Friends, when I first encountered churches like ours, Anglican mission churches, I was so blown away because I felt the presence of God. I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was at a non-denom charismatic church. That's what I felt like in my heart, and I was scared to death. And I saw these guys in robes, and I thought, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> You're breaking the rules! So that's what I felt. And then I experienced a gentleness and a reasonableness. And when I hear from you, and I, I shouldn't be the one saying this, because you, you all have told me, many of you have said, there's, just, there's a relaxedness, there's something different. And friends, it's not me, it's not Chris. It's just the Lord. It's, it's what St. Paul wrote. And it's a gift of God to his people to have a relaxed gentleness about his people. Yes, there are going to be times when we have to turn up the volume, when we have to turn up the temperature, when God is going to put before us a goal. There, trust me, there will be times coming soon, especially in this year before us when we're owning our own finances, we're owning our own governance, we're owning our own organizational development as we become our own church over the next 12 months or so. It's exciting. So there's going to be a time when we amp it up a little bit, but we don't want any dead bodies on the battlefield. That's not what we're here for. Nobody's here to prove anything. We rejoice. We proclaim the festival day. And we abide 
in a posture of gentleness and reasonableness. And Paul communicates this in this farewell portion of this letter to the church at Philippi so that they can embody these two disparate but not contradictory things so that in a paradox, they can be the breadth of who they're to be as God's people. So not only does he address the state of their community, he addresses the state of their minds. And he could be speaking to 21st century Dallas, Texas. Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer and everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, we'll stop there. If you're going to be this people who are exuberantly proclaiming the goodness of God in public worship and abiding and listening for the still, small voice of the one who calms the wind and the waves. Paul says, I want you to think about the state of your mind. Paul recognizes that the mind is a battlefield that is of first importance in our lives. How many of us this week have had anxious thoughts, irrational fears, let our minds just roll off? I mean, probably all of us, if we're honest. So Paul is speaking to them and into them for the sake of their souls, for the sake of the soul of their church of their community. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, hmm, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So often, I want to take the problem that's running in my mind, that's making me anxious, that's placing upon my conscience continuous false guilt or whatever, I want to take that problem and I want to dissect it. I want to analyze it. Instead of calling a timeout and doing what I should do and pray. And many times when we pray, it's not so that, oh God, fix me from this thing right now. It's really so that we can get the focus back on God. Get the focus back on Jesus. Because when we're anxious, our focus is, is everywhere. My counselor told me once that the Hebrew definition for anxiety is a couple of different things. There's, because Hebrew is a very uh, concrete language. It's not abstract. So to define something, it's like you define a Hebrew word by describing something else. So he said one de definition of anxiety in Hebrew is way too many prophets in a small room. You know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Or also, another way to de describe it would be a, a rush of river down a very narrow gully so that the river is, is running over. So when we, when we experience that, we're just completely overwhelmed. Our focus is gone. We've forgotten who God is. But we need to remember, St. Paul says, what we just sang, be still my soul. And remember what he's done. Just remembering 
is a prayer unto him. And when we do that with thanksgiving in our hearts, St. Paul says what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Chris was talking to me and some friends this last week about guarding our hearts and how often when we guard our hearts, it's good because we're, we're protecting ourselves. But many times, just because of life, because we're, we're battered and we're beaten by life, we harden our hearts. And so in this passage, St. Paul says in particular that the peace of God will guard your heart and your minds and Christ Jesus so that I don't have to do it. Because when I do it, I become calcified. Because when I numb myself to the things that would attack me, I also numb myself to hearing the subtleties of what God is doing in our midst. Remember, Paul's speaking about the state of the community, the state of the church, and the state of their minds. So we have to, at some point, let the, we have to let God's peace, we have to trust that God's peace is real, that it's not just some inanimate object out there that if we get enough heavenly tokens, then one day we'll have it. We have to ask for it with thanksgiving. And we have to trust that it will be ours. And we have to remember, even when reality totally speaks against this, we have to remember that it surpasses all understanding. One of my bishop friends in Rwanda spoke about when the genocide was happening in the early 90s and a horde of men with machetes was outside his house. And he said, a peace like I had never experienced came over me and it enveloped me. And we were able to escape and he and his family came out alive. The peace of God can pass all understanding. Continuing with the state of their mind, finally, brothers, now this is what I love, friends. And I'm jealous of you who have lived more life than I have because you know this better than I do. And I know that because I know this better than, you know, 20, Jay in his 20s and Jay in his teens, etc. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, we know what's true because we have the Word of God. It's living and active. It gives us our boundaries. It gives us the authority. It gives us the truth. But there's some things that we just see that ring true, that are right that are affirmed by the Word of God. Whatever is honorable. Hmm. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Can you hear the humanness in Paul right now? I have to imagine that Paul, Paul's not a machine. The Word of God is inspired by God but it's not dictated by these robots. Paul's human. And can't you just see in his mind's eye when he says whatever is true, whatever is pure, that he has some images in mind, that he has encounters maybe with the church at Philippi, maybe a conversation that he had, maybe a confrontation that he had. This is what jumps off the page at me is the humanness of Paul's letter right now. Whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There is so much ugliness in life, friends. And with 24-hour news cycles, with social media, with supercomputers that are smartphones that we have in our pocket that constantly notify us or constantly available for information, it's hard to get away from the ugliness. Think on the things that are true. The things that the Word of God, Jesus, who is the Word of God, the things that He taught, the things that His disciples taught, the things that the Old Testament taught, all gathered together. What is true? What is just? What is lovely? What is commendable? Don't dwell. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. And we lament those evil things that happen. But that can't be where we live. We have to live with what is true and lovely. And Paul says this for their state of mind. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, church, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. First, he said, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now, if you think on these things, church, the God of peace will be with you. He will abide. So that's the state of their mind. And, and finally, Paul speaks to them about his state of being. About the state of their apostle. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. So, this letter, in one sense, is like a missionary letter. We have several missionaries in our church that were in foreign lands, and you may have had different people support you. Different churches, different individuals, foundations, etc. And you would send back updates, letters. The church at Philippi had found an opportunity to send a gift with Epaphroditus back to Paul. And Paul now is taking a moment to say, thank you. You saw an opportunity to help me. I needed help. And you took it. You sent a gift to me. But then Paul qualifies something. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the church at Philippi had chosen to participate in Paul's ministry in an act of generosity. And he's thanking them for it. Because without that, his ministry could be slowed down. It could be deterred. It could be hindered. He says, but not that you think that I've been sullen or down or inhibited without the gift because I have learned the secret of being in want and overflowing. It's almost as if the Psalms were for Paul like they were for Jesus, like they ought to be for us a sort of prayer book. In our family, in the Anglican family, it's customary 
to say all 150 psalms within the span of a month or six weeks if you don't want to go that hardcore. You can do it in morning and evening prayer. You can just take a prayer book and, and go through them. But we know Jesus quoted the psalms constantly on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Last week we heard him. Have you not heard? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, etc., etc., etc. So the Psalms for Paul, the Psalms for us, can be a prayer book, kind of a soundtrack. When I was at that concert Wednesday night, I heard a few songs. I, man, I thought, man, I feel like I'm in my car in Fleming Island, driving down the street. Oh, here, I'm in Dallas. We're at the townhouse. Okay, all right, here, and I've just discovered Spotify with this album. And on and on and on it goes. But there's something about a soundtrack that helps us remember what's true and lovely and commendable and praiseworthy. And it's almost as if we hear Paul saying, Psalm 23, The Lord, guys, has been my shepherd. I have never been in want. He's made me lie down in green pastures. He's led me to still waters. And lest you be concerned for me, he has revived my soul. He has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Paul is writing this from prison. Paul will be executed soon. So Paul takes the final bits of ink to write to them, thank you. You have given so much to me. Know that as you've given to me, I've learned to live with without anything and with everything. And I've done that all because God is my shepherd. And, he's, and he ends in that, this beautiful sort of moment where he says, friends, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Period. Paul says the same to us. He tells us to rejoice, to be exuberant in public. He tells us to be gentle and quiet Reasonable, for the Lord is near. He tells us to put away anxiety, but in everything to pray, so that the state of our mind cannot be one that's going a million different miles an hour in a million different directions, but one that is focused on those things that are true and lovely, commendable and praiseworthy. And finally, he invites us to live in that reality of having the Lord as our shepherd. Because through him, we can do all things, because he gives us strength. Church, All Saints East Dallas, we have an exciting year ahead of us. We're anticipating God to do great things. Let us not be overcome with anxiety. Let us rejoice and be gentle. Let us offer to God in prayer everything that we need. Let us participate generously with our time, our talent, and our treasure. But through it all, let us do it all in the strength of Christ, our good shepherd. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.